Hello, and welcome to the Equine Podcast. I'm Dr. Wendy Corin. And I'm Dr. Dave Lundquist. And this week has brought us face-to-face with one of the more common experiences we have in canine, equine, and human healing behavior. And that's analyzing to determine can't versus won't. Clients come to us every single day saying, my dog won't do this. My dog can't turn his head. My dog can't do this. My horse cannot go left. We see so many indications of not getting the behavior that you want and calling it a can't. And we had a classic example of this with a horse that we've been working on for a couple months. And I know every time I go into the stall, I struggle with this horse. I mean, he is a gorilla when it comes to trying to turn his head and trying to make that neck move from one side to the other. And to the left, he's usually pretty good. To the right, he's fought me tooth and nail. And we've tried, we've x-rayed him just to make sure. They've shockwaved him. They've done all kinds of stuff. But when I go in there to turn his head, nothing. And he'll just immediately start to pull to the pull to the left. And so is this a can't or a won't? There's a big difference between can't and won't. Okay? Is he physically not capable of doing it because of arthritic inf- inflammation, subluxation, muscle spasm, uh, space occupied lesions <laughs> that block the pathway? You know, there's there's so many things that can be anatomical reasons that they cannot are not physically capable of. Yeah. And so we and then Wendy thought, well, let me try it. Maybe it's just man versus beast and he decides he's going to wrestle you. And so Wendy went in and tried. Same th- results. Turn to the left, nothing to the right. Out of just obstinate behavior going to the right. So she does something that we rarely ever do. She says, I'm going to go see if I'm going to get a treat and to see if that works. Now, generally, I don't like going into stalls with treats. And I don't like being in that habit of going into a stall with a treat because then you walk in and the horse at once just starts molesting you trying to find the treat. So I generally never take treats in with me. And, and I don't like using treats with dogs while I'm working on them either. It's just, it's just distracting behavior. Wendy goes out, she gets a treat. She takes the treat, she holds it to its nose, and then she turns, puts it on the right side of his body. He immediately turns his nose all the way and touches all the way behind the shoulder without any difficulty whatsoever, no compensation at the pole, nothing. We laughed at ourselves. So all this time, I thought it was a can't. It was not a can't. That's a won't. Yes. You imagine your, you know, typical five-year-old tantrum and then add, you know, 12 to 1,500 pounds or in the case of a dog or whatever. And so it really is for us as practitioners, for owners, for trainers to use all the tools necessary to determine the difference because... If you treat a I won't, like a can't, there'll be a lot of interventions. And they may even be giving up 
on the performance level of that animal when actually it's a different motivation they need. And as you become better and better at your evaluation skills and you begin to trust yourself even more, you'll be able to laugh at yourself when your can't becomes a clear won't and then you have to work to establish a pattern of willingness. Yeah, because what happens is won'ts are behavioral issues. And a lot of times I know with our horses, it's a memory issue. I did that once and it hurt. So there is no way I'm going to do that again. Uh, my horse flipped over a jump. Trying to get him to go over a jump that had standards on each side, it wasn't that he couldn't because he can definitely jump. It was a won't. It was a behavioral issue. And behavioral issues need to be looked at from a different angle. As, as our favorite dog trainer says, they need to be obedienced out. They need to learn that there is a positive consequence to doing what they're asked to do. And you can begin, especially with uh, a horse that chooses not to turn when you ask it and you know you're giving the correct aid and you know that there is no pain reason and you know all these things. And how do you motivate it to want to? How do you motivate it to listen to you and respond to that cue? And how do you reprogram a previously negative experience? And those all have to be answered. As, as a chiropractor, I know I can get in there and if it was a can't, and I get in there and I'm able to adjust those segments and all of a sudden it can now physically is capable of doing it. Then it becomes almost like a rehab or a behavioral change that I always talk to the rider about. If I have a horse that could not turn to the right or would not turn to the right, and then I get in there and I find out, okay, this is definitely some subluxation issues. We adjust it. We do fascia work. We do taping. And the horse now is perfectly capable of doing that. What I'll have the rider do right off the bat is if that horse couldn't make a right turn, I will have that rider go in and make 10 tight right turns the first thing as soon as they get on that horse. Because I want that horse, because we can adjust it physically, but that rider has to adjust it mentally. And you want to create a neuromuscular reorganization. You want to have, it's like a rut in the road. If you're driving down the road, your tires are going to fall into the path that all the other cars have gone before it because there's less resistance made it easier. And so if a horse has spooked at the corner every single time it's gone through or spooks at a um, puddle because as they know there is a Loch Ness Monster in that puddle, Unless you can create enough positive experiences, enough successful experiences to overpower that rut, their brain is going to run the same pattern. So we want to safely re-educate, as Dave said, by making right circles, by giving them different challenges to overcome that require going right, where their brain is distracted and it's not the exact same pattern. 
because patterns are neurological. And once a nerve has taken a path, it's easier to excite it the next time, and even easier the next time, and even easier the next time. And aids have taught us that to where sometimes when you're working on a young horse, your aids are quite explicit, perhaps loud, perhaps redundant. And then as you and that horse sink, your aids are mental. You've given a micro aid that the horse reacted to before you finished thinking about it. So we want you to do this with intention and with professional assistance. And if it's a can't, that means one thing. You need more diagnostics on that animal because you need to get to the bottom of it. Because if it can't do something, that means somewhere else in its body, it's compensating for the thing that it can't do. And those compensations, that ripple effect is going to happen throughout the body. And those are the things that you will be able to maintain and be able to keep from creating other issues because that one thing will lead to five other issues down the line if you're not there to help out. And you'll find often that a can't that will turn into a won't because they learned it was a bad idea. When a dog can't jump up on the couch, now it's going to hesitate getting into the car. When it hurt to jump out of the car, now it's not going to want to move its body and go anywhere else. If the last time it tried to do weave poles, it got a stabbing pain between the ribs, it's not going to choose to do that unless you reinforce enough times that now it can. You remove the biomechanical, physical cause, medical cause, whatever that is, and then educate, educate, educate that this is a healthy pattern and you can train in willingness. And we get this on the human aspect as well. I can't do that. Oh, I love that. Oh. I, you humans, <laughs> I assume the people out here who are listening are primarily human. I can't turn my head to the left. Really? Okay. Let's evaluate that. Is it that you cannot or does it hurt? How far along does it hurt? What prevents you from creating that? If there is a biomechanical issue and you remove the biomechanical issue, now then, can you move in that normal pattern or have you learned such a detrimental pattern for compensation that now the rest of your body goes, okay, when I do that, I lift my right leg. Oh, when I do that, I make these other adjustments, so to speak. So understand that quadrupeds have so many more ways to give you those cues as to whether or not something is a can't or a won't. And forcing through a can't is very dangerous. Allowing a won't is disastrous because it will create a pattern that gets more and more and more difficult to overcome. So we want to find a way that they can, even if it does mean moving differently. And if that's an acceptable way, then 
if I want my horse to get over that jump and the jump is going to have standards, then I'm going to spend time walking back and forth by standards that don't have a jump next to it. I'm going to put other things on the menu while walking through standards. So it's not the only thing that they're looking at, but there's also some cones on the ground or some of this other things to say to the brain, hey, this is part of an experience. This is not a giant grizzly bear about to attack me. Therefore, it's the only thing I see. You want to take control of the environment and invite them into a safe feeling. Yeah, I think, sometimes I think won'ts are just chronic can'ts, you know, because <laughs> a lot of times, oh, I can't do that. Why can't you do that? I broke my leg. Well, when did you break your leg? 10 years ago. Yes, <laughs> yes. I, I cannot tell you how many times the excuses are fantastic for why the person can't, the dog can't, the horse can't. Well, he had a suspensory injury. When? Two and a half years ago, he's already jumped meter 40. I'm going to use this as my explanation for this. Okay, it, this is time to look in the mirror and go, are you creating excuses that are justified? Or are you using the... It's a crutch. Can't as a crutch. Yeah, it becomes a crutch. And then I had that once and I had bad result. Therefore, I don't want to do that again. Mm -hmm. There's more really what that, that, that becomes. So I, I, I believe won'ts are chronic can'ts. And words matter. You know, if, if you say it, you will make it true. If you, the brain understands your thoughts, and if you say, my dog can't, you won't expect it, you won't give it the, the unconscious cues to do it, you'll protect it and lift it rather than allowing it to show you what it can do. And if you change that in your mind first, you can promote a healthier response from your horse or from your dog, and especially from yourself. Yeah. I, can't, I can't lift weights. Why can't you lift weights? Well, I did that once and I hurt my back. How long ago? Oh, that was five years ago. Well, well 45 years yeah. ago. It's amazing. I think your back might have healed since then. Now we need to do it correctly. Exactly right. And you know, we had, we had an absolute miraculous, we had a lot of really cool experiences. It was a good week. week. But it was, it was, it was really a good miraculous good week, week. With cans that were also wounds becoming not just cans, but wow, watch me now. And this in the dog, we had a very, very ataxic, knuckling over, three out of four legs, uh, you know, um, kind of giving up hope in a, in a very large creature and suspending expectations and knowing, I don't think he can walk up the stairs. I don't know that he can't. We are certain that he won't. What if we change his orientation? What if we adjust that which isn't moving, which, by the way, was at the pole, up at the atlas first bone, not back at the hind end where the symptoms were greatest. What if we use kinesiology tape to change the perception? What will happen then? And lo and behold, within half an hour, 
There was a tremendous change. Within a week, there was change in willingness. And now two weeks in, lying down, getting up, and choosing to get into the car. So if you allow things to present as they're going to, without putting your fears and your limitations on it, a lot more things are possible. So when you yourself say, I can't do that, basically what you've done is you're limited to your choices. Basically, you said, yeah, I don't have choices. So that's a huge limitation. And it shuts your brain down for finding a way to get it done. It just shuts down all possibilities. So think about your language when you talk about certain things. When you say you can't do that, you can't do that because you've shut down all belief systems behind that. When you say, uh, I won't do that, that's different. That won't, could be, it could be based on morals, values, beliefs, you know, or physical limitation, real physical limitation or patterns. Or, or, there's so many explanations for that. But at least when you say you won't do that, that's a whole different, exp- that's a whole different thing in your brain. Because when you say can't, it just automatically limits your choices. Exactly. So we're going to invite you as, as we wrap up this session to question. Question your own terminology when you say, I can't, he can't, she can't, and then go, is it a can't or a won't? And if it's a won't, what's it based on? And how can I resolve this? Begin to ask yourself, question yourself, and the last question will be, how can I help you resolve this? And if I could do that, what would the possibilities be? Enjoy these thoughts to ponder on. This has been an Equiline podcast with Dr. Wendy Corin. And Dr. Dave Lundquist. Have a spectacular day.